Uh, we, we went through a 21-day fast from the January 7th through last Sunday. Great month to do that. Many of you took the Daniel fast seriously, and it was fruits and vegetables and water. And, uh, and others of you chose to fast something else. And some of you caught up off all of your missed time last uh, 21 days of eating this week. Anybody else, your eyes get bigger in your stomach at every meal. It's like, I need that. I haven't had that in a long time. I need that and that and that. Um, but hopefully that'll, that'll calm down for a little bit. But the reason for it was for us to surrender our new year to Christ. Uh, to say, God, our, our first fruits, the first of who we are, we want to lay a foundation saying that you are the Lord over all and through all and in all of our 2019. And then the weeks following that, um, our great prayer team that every month, if you get our e-news, if you don't, uh, another reason to fill out that card because all of our church information every Friday gets sent out. If you put your email on there and your name, you'll be on the list and you'll get it. Um, but every, every week it has a uh, month, has a theme of a certain specific prayer that we as a church are lifting up. And this month of January that they sent me uh, in December was renewal. And I thought, is there anything better than that with the 21-day fast and then what we're going to do following? So we're just calling it renewal. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about rest. Uh, it was snowy's all get out. We had one service. There was like 120 people here. The rest of you were, were resting, I guess. I don't know what you were doing. But uh, we talked about rest uh, with the idea of a, of a biblical Sabbath, a, a day every week, where we focus on being in Christ instead of doing and achieving and chasing after everything that we can possibly do, right? Uh, with the idea that we walk through our week saying, because we're busy, right? We say, well, I, I'm, I'm not done. We've got a lot of stuff to do, but I'm done for now, and I'm going to rest. And every week we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and, and acknowledge Him that He is our sustainer and that He is our provider. We're busy, the schedules just drive us. Our, our phone schedules, everything in our life is just driven by the almighty clock. And for us every week to pause, there's something refreshing about doing that. Last week we talked about reflection. Uh, this whole thing has been about looking inwardly at the soul and spiritually self-reflecting. And we looked at uh, David's psalm in 139, and it's an incredible verse. One that you should go back to often and probably look at every day. Uh, and it says this. It says, search me, God. And know my heart. There's nobody that knows your heart better than God, by the way. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. And we ask the big question, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with why I'm uh, you know, gravitating towards a certain direction? Why I'm being a certain way? Why my motives are this way? Am I being honest about that? Because what we talk about in Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, Jeremiah said something about our hearts that rings true. Not just for then, but for now. And it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? What's that mean? That means our heart can talk us into all kinds of crazy things that we probably shouldn't do, but we can talk ourselves into about anything we want to do, right? Also, we can talk ourselves into not doing just about anything we do not want to do, like I'm not going to do that. We know it's good, but we, our heart can talk us right out of it. And the heart is deceitful above all things. So this whole month and today is about, God, would you search us? Would you know us? Uh, another word to say it, would you ransack the soul like an officer on a search warrant, right? And he's looking into our soul for anything that's not, not of him so that we can rid ourselves of it and so that we can be all, all his. 
so we can live the life of everlasting. Uh, today I want to ask you another question, um, and one that we could probably all scream a resounding yes to. But have you ever had in your life a moment in your life where you just, you just wish you could have a do-over? Anybody had one of those where you wish you could wipe the slate clean and, uh, and maybe move on beyond something, and, and you could go back and you could fix it or you could change it? Now, we probably all had that relationally at one time or another. We probably all had that with work or something at one time or another. We said something or we did something, and we wish we could like reel it right back in because afterwards we're thinking, what in the world was I thinking ever saying that or ever, ever doing that? Or maybe in, in an emotionally charged moment, and we're, none of us are exempt from one of those moments, uh, we wrote something or we posted something, and it was crazy. And afterwards, your emotions began to calm down a little bit, and you realized... And you ask the big question, what was I thinking? I mean, what could have possibly been going on inside of me or around me that I would have ever done that? Or I would have said something so hurtful to the one that I love the most, right? We have those moments where we wish uh, we could have a do-over. And the truth is, all of us in here today could say, that's right. I have many things I wish, regrets even, that I wish I could have a do-over with. When I was growing up, um, one of the things my parents would not buy me, and now that I'm on the other side of it, when I was 8 to 12 to 15, I thought, this is crazy. Why won't you buy me this? Everybody has one, right? And they were just like, nope, we're not going to get you one. And every year I would write down that I wanted, I wanted some type of video gaming system. Anybody ever want one of those? And your parents were like, not going to happen. I guess they thought, instead of me doing this in front of a TV, it would be better to do something else, you know? I didn't think so at the time. And in 1985... Uh, the video gaming world was forever, forever changed when the Nintendo came out. Anybody have a Nintendo in their house growing up or you have one now? I know in the last year or two they came out with that little box or whatever that's like Nintendo-ish and you can play all those Nintendo games again. But my parents would never buy me one and it frustrated me to no end. But uh, my neighbor right across the yard had one and he had a basement and we would go over there often. I'd be over there. We would log hours in front of those video games. Some of our favorites, uh, Mario Brothers, and that wasn't good enough for us, so they made Super Mario Brothers. Remember that? The Legends of Zelda, which was a terrible game that nobody played. Um, Donkey Kong. Uh, and then my favorite, there was also Duck Hunt. Anybody love Duck Hunt? It's like these little ducks across the screen, you shoot them. And then my favorite of all time, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, was Tecmo Bowl. Anybody else love Tecmo Bowl growing up? We would wear that game out. And you would have to, remember like the Nintendo games, you would have to blow the end because they would be full of dust in them. You get all the dust out of it, put it in there, and, and then it would finally work. Um, but the, it was awesome. Tecmo Bowl was incredible. And some of, I want to rewind and share some of the, my favorite players in Tecmo Bowl for a minute. And Anson made screens for him. My first, Bo Jackson. If you had Bo Jackson on your team, you were the best. You were one of the best. The Raiders. Um, Barry Sanders. The Lions were my favorite growing up. He was so quick. And there was no graphic like to show quickness. It was like this little dot. Of, you know what I mean? They were terrible. Uh, Lawrence Taylor from the Giants. If you had him, nobody could score on you because Lawrence Taylor was a beast. Uh, I think Jerry Rice would have been one. He could catch any. You could throw 100-yard passes, and Jerry Rice would score a touchdown. Uh, some of you Chicago Bear fans would have loved Neil Anderson. He was unreal uh, uh, in the video game. And then Christian the Beast Okoye. Remember him from, uh, from the Kansas City Kansas City Chiefs, but we love this game. And when we would play this game, we would get so mad at each other, we would yell, 
kick, scream, whatever we had to do when you were getting beat. And you'd be down by 21 points playing one of your friends. And the Nintendo makers did an incredible thing on the front of the Nintendo box. They had two buttons, and you'll probably remember these. So as you're getting roasted by 21 points by your friend or more, you would be stretching it at a halftime and accidentally tap the reset button, and it would restart the game all over again. Me and Nick Foreman, would, we would just play it all the time, get so mad when you were winning big and the other person would hit, hit the reset button. But the, the makers of Nintendo were geniuses. A built-in do-over, right? A built-in, let's start this thing over and make it happen. I don't think, I know it hasn't for me, that we navigate through our life and we, we still want that. We want a do-over button. We want a reset button. We want one in which we can say, man, that relationship, what I did, wasn't good. Wish there was a reset button to push. Financially, I've gotten myself in such a pile, uh, I wish there was a reset button and it could, just be, it could just be taken care of. A job, maybe we just, we didn't handle it right or we shouldn't have taken it, right? And we wish, man, if I could go back two, three, eight, ten years ago and just have that Nintendo reset button and push it, we would be, we'd be so much better off. We long for that at times. And the same is true spiritually. We're going to see a guy in Romans today that, that he had a reset happen spiritually take place in his life. And it's a, a well-known scripture in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, talking about the, the transformation, the renewing of our minds. And Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, it's, it's a great one for us to know and understand. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And we want to be a people that lives out this next passage in Colossians 1, or 3, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to go through this book in the coming weeks, the book of Colossians. Great book to, to go through before Easter. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. So often when we're making decisions and choices and what should I do next, we're making decisions and choices with our hearts not set on things above, with our mind not set on things above, and we are focused on the here and now, the quick fix, the let's make the change right now, and it's going to make things all better. I want to share with you, last week we talked about how easily our hearts can deceive ourselves, right? How I just went through a course and wrote a bunch of stuff on, and how we easily deceive ourselves. And I want to share just a few myths that we, we so easily deceive ourselves with, with and we think, man, these are, these are true, when in reality they're not. And you can write them down if you want. The first one's the experience myth. The experience, that life experience, makes me wiser, and I would agree at some level, uh, that's true. But I would argue as well that sometimes in the greater areas of life, that's not true. Some of you have known people in your life, maybe coworkers or people you respected, and they had all the experience in the world. You could even maybe add they had wisdom that went with that experience. But then they blew it, right? And you thought, man, wh what's going on with them? That sometimes we raise experience to a level that it's, that, that it's, it, it must be true. We must be wise, right? Here, here's the true reality. That we need to get to a point where we actually evaluate our experience. And that will lead us to a place of true wisdom. Remember last week, the story of King Jehoiakim in, in the Old Testament and then Zedekiah. 
Nebuchadnezzar said to Jehoiakim, hey, if you will listen to me, if you guys will pay taxes to me, if you will pay tribute to me, I will let you stay in this land and you, you'll be fine. King Jehoiakim went with it for a little bit, didn't he? And then he said, we're done paying you taxes, bud. And it didn't end up turning out well for him. He was, he was taken out. He was killed. The city was taken under siege. Uh, remember, Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah in, in charge. Just, he, was, he was Jehoiakim's uncle. And he said, hey, listen, if you pay taxes to me, if you honor me, if you pay tribute to me, uh, things will be good. You can stay in this land. And Zedekiah, Jeremiah's like, you better listen to him. You know, he had, he had wisdom and experience. And Zedekiah said, I'm not going to do it. And you know the story we shared last week. Zedekiah, because of his ridiculous decision, his sons were killed in front of him. The nobles were killed in front of him. They gouged his eyes out. And Nebuchadnezzar took him in chains back to Babylon. His experience did not win the day. We think, man, because we have experience, we're wiser. We're going to find out today that that is true at some level, but it's about renewing, renewing our mind. The second one is the no better myth. I, I'm going to do better because I know better. How many of you had your parents uh, say to you, I've heard this probably a lot, Kedrick, you knew better than that. You knew better than to do that. You knew better than to lie to us. You knew better than to deceive us. How many of you have had your parents say, you knew better? And just because we know better doesn't mean we have the discipline or the willpower to do the right thing. It's a myth just because we know better. The last one is the time myth. And out of the, the three, this is the most destructive. The first two uh, can, can kind of come across a little bit soft and, and we can make up excuses for the first two. But this one, it, it takes us to a point of we need to make a decision quickly, that there's a time miss. So we create these artificial deadlines in life, and then we make rash, quick, crazy decisions that we look back on and we say, what in the world was I thinking, right? So we'll say things like, we'll say things like this. I got to hurry because I don't know how much time I have left. So then we just make a ridiculous decision because of that. You know what? All of my friends... Uh, are, are at this level, and I need to do this because of, and you can fill in the blank of whatever it is they're doing. And so easily, we will make choices, decisions, we will hop into things that are just poor choices because we have these artificial deadlines that we think, we got to do it now, I have to hurry up and make this happen. And instead of seeing time as our enemy, what if we saw time as our friend? Say, hey, I need to take a little bit more time. I need to take this to God in prayer. I need to, 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 to read Scripture and see what God has to speak about on this subject. I need to seek out wise counsel. And we can see time then as our friend. I want to jump into this story in uh, Romans 12, verse, verse 1 and 2. And uh, I think God will speak to us today about looking uh, at self-care, spiritual self-assessment to see where we are. And uh, help us to understand a concept that we need to take with us long past this, this next 15 or 20 minutes. So Paul's writing this uh, letter to the Romans, and it's, it's a great, great letter. And as Paul's writing this letter to the, to the Romans, he's writing it to the Christians in, in Rome. And being a Christian in Rome during this time, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to be. Because you were always under the Roman Empire's thumbprint, and uh, you just kind of had to be obedient to them, yet try to follow the Jesus way. Well, one of the unique things about Paul is he was not only Jewish, but Paul was a Roman citizen. He had dual citizenship. So that, that had, in and of itself, pros and cons 
But if you read the letters that Paul shares in the New Testament, he doesn't, he doesn't you know, harp on that a lot because he wants everybody to know, while that's, that's okay, uh, the number one place I'm a citizen is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And I'm all about, I'm all about that. And Paul wanted this group of people to understand, hey, as you are living out life in Rome, people are going to see the way of Jesus by how you live your life. That you need, to, you need to, to walk out what you just keep talking about. You need to walk the walk. So Paul's challenging them in this area, and then he challenges them with what's going on up here between the ears, and he challenges them with the way, with the way that they think. And Paul was one of those guys that, uh, there wasn't a Nintendo back in his day, um, but he had to hit the reset button spiritually, didn't he? If you read through the New Testament, you hit Acts 9, uh, you will see that Paul uh, spiritually had a, a great awakening because Jesus met him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. A guy that was putting Christians in jail uh, unjustly. A guy that was killing Christians for no other reason than that Christian said, I'm a Jesus follower. And I'm sure he had a lot of regret about that. But then his life was changed and he was one of the greatest pioneers, uh, missionaries of the Christian faith. And so here's what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. He not only speaks about this, he's sharing it with them because he's living it out. And here's what he says. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Hey, Roman citizens, I want you to know, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything Jesus has done for you, including going to the cross, dying three days later, uh, raising from the grave, and then, and then giving you the opportunity for eternal life, add all that in there. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of His grace, to offer your bodies not just your mind, not just your motives, not just your intentions, not just one hour a week, but to offer your entire body, offer all of your emotions, offer all of your motive, all of your heart, all of your, all of your future plans. Offer it all to God. So he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Uh, this group of people would have known what a dead sacrifice was, because they would sacrifice animals to atone for sin, to get right with God. And what Paul's letting this group of people know, hey, all those that are now pagan rituals, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about you, the Jesus follower, be a living sacrifice. So what's that look like? I want you to take all of you, figuratively, I want you to lay it out on the altar, and I want you to say, God, my hands are open, my heart is open, my mind is open, and I want all of me to be all of yours. That's what Paul is talking about to this group of people. Walk in such a way that you are a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, Man, be set apart and dedicated for His service only. What a request. I mean, I'll give you like an hour, a, couple, you know, a little bit a week. I'll read some scripture and a couple worship songs on 90.3. But like everything that you're calling me to give everything to you, it's a big time request. And Paul knew that he had to make some, uh, some practical news to this group about what he was asking them to do. So he does just that in verse, in verse 2. He lets them know what he means by this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, if you conform to the pattern of this world, if you conform uh, to, to the Roman Empire's way, you will look just like everyone else that's not following Jesus. 
You will think just like everyone else. You will act just like everyone else. There will be nothing in your life that, that has any difference between you being a Jesus follower and just somebody conforming to the world. And what a, man, that's a huge statement and a big question for us in 2019, isn't it? For us to think, man, is there anything about my life, how I interact with people, how I, how I walk this Jesus path, is there anything different than the people that live next to me that don't go to church? Or the people that are in my neighborhood? Or the people that I work with that, that are just as far from God as anybody else? Is there anything that's different? Paul says, man, whatever you do, guard yourself in this area. Do not conform to the patterns of this, of this world. Instead, he says this, but be transformed. He says, Christians in Rome, Christians 2019, I want you to be different. I want you to lean in. I want to be able to look at your life and see, man, there is the Holy Spirit radiating off, off of that person. Uh, Christians, I want, to, I want you to take your walk with Christ seriously. I want you to run the race with great effort, language we see Paul use in the New Testament. I want you to chase after this thing called the Jesus way. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. At, w at which the crowd's saying, how do you do that? Well, he gives it in the next little part here. He says how to be transformed. He says it goes much deeper than uh, what we would think. If I'm going to be transformed, then I'm going to start making decisions. I'm going to behave differently, right? I'm going to act differently around people. Paul's not talking about behavior modification. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about by the renewing of your mind. Oh, we need to offer our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Yes, we do. Uh, we need to lay our body out on the altar and say, God, I am all of yours. That's such an important thing. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. But Paul says also, you need to be transformed. You need to be renewed by the way that you think. By the way that you, by the way that you think. It's why we can look back at, at maybe your testimony and you can think of moments in your life where you just think, what in the world was I thinking, right? You ever had that moment? We all have. And Paul says in that moment, you need to evaluate that. You need to see what your motives are going on behind that so that history doesn't repeat itself in your life. You need to change the way that you think. It's not simply engaging or not engaging in some activity that makes you transform. Paul says it starts right up here. And we serve a God that wants to help do that in your life. That the Holy Spirit wants to every day help transform your mind and your heart. Really what he's talking about to be transformed, uh, renewal, is, is to restore. And uh, how many of you in here, um, at one time or another, you've restored something? Maybe a piece of furniture, uh, maybe a house, maybe a car, maybe jewelry. Maybe it's been the 40-year project. You're still restoring it, right? I don't know what that looks like for you. But we've all at one time probably uh, looked at something, thought, man, that is worth taking it back to its original state because it's just that good, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to take time to do that. Before kids came along, Nat and I loved to do that with furniture. And one of the things with, with furniture, before you could restore it, is you had to strip away all of the, all of the old, didn't you? And get it back to its, its original surface. Because if you didn't do that, and you were just to slap paint or something else on it, uh, what happens usually down the road is it begins to, it begins to peel off, right? Because you never dealt with any of the old that was on the particular thing that you're, that you're restoring. And you've been at that place. 
where you just tried to add something new to your life. You tried to make a new decision. You thought, I'm going to go in a new direction. I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to go do that. But you never dealt with what's really going on behind the scenes. And what always happens is it ends up, it ends up failing. I'm going to go get a new job. Things are going to be better. Things will be changed. And what we do is we carry our big bag baggage bags with us of all of our junk instead of dealing with it. I'm going to get in a new relationship. We turn around, it's still, we're still carrying it around. Uh, things will be different next semester at school, right? And we still carry around all, all the stuff. It's why so many of us in here, I included, have started new diets about 400 times in our life. And we've stopped them about 410 times in our life, right? Because they just don't, we had great intentions. Uh, we, we, we were going to go all in. We were going to do it. We were going to make it happen. But yet we didn't change any of the patterns, any of the behaviors, any of the ways that we think, right? We didn't push anything away. And we just thought it's going to work. And it always fails. It's a ridiculous example, but it's like you go on to lunch today, heading through the McDonald's drive through getting a Big Mac value meal, a quarter pounder value meal, and a chicken nut value meal, eating them all. And then drinking your Slim Fast to top it off at the end, thinking, man, this is going to, I'm probably going to lose some weight because of this, right? It's just crazy thinking. And yet, as crazy as that example is, we do it all the time, spiritually, emotionally, relationally with people. We, we, we do it with Jesus as well. We try to make little deals with Him, right? God, I won't, right? I won't do this anymore, I promise. And then we, we find ourselves repeating history over and over and over again. Paul says, man, don't be someone conformed to this world. And it's not about willpower. It's not about just coming along and saying, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm not going to do it anymore. Paul says the only way you're going to be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. By being renewed inside. Oh, we can peel off the old, right? And God can do something new inside of us. Today, the reason why we're talking about it early in this year is because it's so important to talk about early in this year. Because we're building patterns and behaviors and disciplines right now in our life. And it's a place where we need to understand it's uh, renewal and transformation of our heart and our mind is not just, well, I'm going to say a couple prayers, and then I've arrived, right? Or I'm going to go through a 21-day fast, Jesus is up in heaven, the band's playing, he's clapping, everybody's cheering, and then I'm good spiritually for the year, right? Or I'm going to show up at church a couple times, and then God's going to see that everything's good. No, spirit like renewal, spiritual renewal, transformation, renewing our mind. It's a daily grind. It's one in which every day we wake up and make the decision that I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm not going to conform to the patterns of this world. I'm going to chase after the way of Jesus. So Paul drives it home in the second part of verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... Here's a promise. Promises are God. We sing it all the time. They're yes and amen before he even finishes the sentence. Uh, they will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you in here, by raise of hand, well, your hands up, would say, I want to know God's will for my life? All of us. Well, I guess two of you, I meant. Two of you. <laughs> want to know God's will for your life? That's probably the question that's been, I've talked about the most with people. I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't see what he's doing. I want to know God's will for what's next in my life. I, I couldn't say it any better, so I, uh, this, it's going to be up on the screen, one of my New Testament commentaries of, of what this looks like uh, when it comes to transformation of our minds. You can follow along. 
Believers are to experience a complete transformation from the inside out. And the change must begin in the mind, where all thoughts and actions begin. Much of the work is done by God's Spirit in us. And the tool most frequently used is God's Word. As we memorize and meditate upon God's Word, our way of thinking changes. Our minds become first informed and then conformed to the pattern of God, the pattern for which we were originally designed. When believers have had their their minds transformed and are becoming more like Christ, they will know what God wants, and then they'll want to do it. I love that. For it is good, pleasing to God, and perfect for them. Uh, All of us in here want to know God's will for our life. God, what are you doing? What are you calling me to? The people in Rome that Paul's writing to wanted to know what God's will was for their life. And so often we'll search in every avenue, we'll read every book, we'll try to get all kinds of counsel, wise or not, and the place we won't go to get uh, this figured out is God's Word uh, and, and in prayer, of where we're seeking God and where He's making it clear what's next for us. So church, if we want to know God's will, if we want to be able to test it, If we want to be able to figure it out, if we want to be able to approve it, which simply means if we want to be able to discern what God's will is, we want to be able to weed out some of the junk that that is in the midst of it, if we want to be able to have some real clarity with what God is doing, then every day you have to make a choice spiritually to renew your mind, to go to God, to spend time with Him in prayer and and in His Word. It's why we talk about so often, it's so valuable for we as a church to gather as the body every week and for us to make that a high priority in our life. There's a cumulative value to we as a body gathering to worship, gathering to open his word and read it, gathering to encourage each other. And there's something that takes place. Our minds are renewed. That's why we say to get in a discipleship group or a small group and where we're actually talking with people and pulling back the curtain and, and just being real with people around us. Studying God's word, hearing testimonies, cheering one another on in the faith. When we do that, our minds can be renewed. That's why we say to pick up his word and read it. What it say in that excerpt? As we memorize and meditate on God's word, our way of thinking changes. You want to change the way you think? You want to change the way some of the patterns you don't like that aren't of God? Get in His Word, and it'll take place. That's why we say pray, stay connected to the vine, be a part of the body of Christ. If it's not this one, we're all one big team. Find one that is, you know, if you live somewhere else. That our minds are transformed, and we become more like Christ when we every day choose Him first when we don't conform to the patterns of this world. Hey, as we close today, the last few weeks have been about like opening us up and saying, what in the world's going on inside of there? You know what? When people in business, when something's not going right, they have a meeting tomorrow, they'll get it fixed. When your car's broke down, you you won't wait a month, you're gonna call somebody, it's gonna be fixed tomorrow. And the thing we fail to go back to and evaluate often is ourself because we're scared of what we're going to find. We're scared of what's in there. We're scared of what could be revealed. And you know what I said last week, and it rings true today, 
take it to God. Because the thing will happen when you expose your heart to him and the people around you. We ended with this last week. You will be a candidate for his amazing, amazing grace. And he will have his arms wide open waiting for you. He's not going to be going like this. What in the world? I mean, what do you think? You know, That's how we view God at times. So today we're going to spend some moments where you could come up in communion and, and remember the great gift of Jesus on the cross. Remember what he did for you and for, I, for me. In your uh, pews at the ends on this side and then also on these, uh, this side and then up in the balcony as well, you'll see some white cards. And before we started the fast on January 7th, uh, we, had, we asked our congregation to write down when you fast, and, and in Scripture, every time somebody fasted, it was specifically for something or someone. And you wouldn't believe this, the, the things that people wrote down in this church. It was as real and as candid as you have been since I've been here, and maybe any church in my last 15 years in ministry, of the stuff you wrote down that you long for God to work in. So what we want to do today and in the coming days, if you're willing, I've heard a lot of the stories verbally, if you're willing to write a sentence or two of how God met you on the 21-day fast, of how God spoke to you on the 21-day fast, maybe he answered a prayer on the 21-day fast, I encourage you to write it down. There's nothing more incredible than the body of Christ going back to him and saying, thank you. We usually have a list of prayer requests, don't we? But we often forget to go back and say, God, we praise you. We thank you for what you've done. So as you reflect for a moment before communion, uh, choose to fill one of those out. You can. There's a black box in the back and then also one in the atrium. And then this Wednesday night, at our first Wednesday night of worship and prayer, we're going to celebrate what God has done in the midst of some of the people at Centerville Community Church and continue to pray for the great prayer request that you brought to us 28 days ago.